The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Good to be with you tonight, and as it is often the case, you know, um, there's a lot of joy and good feeling, not always being on retreat, but especially around these teachings, you know, thinking about calm and tranquility and putting together a talk on calm and tranquility and then actually getting in front of a group of people, reflecting in real time about joy and tranquility and calm. That's what you call a nice job. (laughs) Yeah, and what's really amazing, I mean, the reason I say that What's truly amazing, and I, I hope everyone's a little shocked, is like, well, why don't I do that more often? I mean, each of us. Like, when is the last time you spent 15, 10, 15 minutes thinking about the possibility, the availability of ease, calm, tranquility? And in that sense, aimed your mind in that direction. Because we definitely spent more than 15 minutes aiming our mind towards threats and things that are agitating for us and disturbing of our mind all the time. I spend way too much time looking at the news, which is almost always agitating and disturbing to my mind. So we we really need to sense how out of balance our modern existence and maybe you know i'm not critiquing modern times because i don't know about previous times of course but it seems modern times really doesn't have very many supports for calm and tranquility and it's such an essential quality in uh buddhist psychology, you know, there's there's really no competence of our mind with our mind when it doesn't have some tranquility. It's it's brittle, it's not malleable, not wieldy, can't get the job done. Just like all the qualities that make a mind competent at doing what minds need to do. It it needs that lubricant of well-being because, you know, the mind that has well-being, that has some calm, contentment, tranquility, then when it looks at a problem or at a situation, in a way it can, it can get close in a way that it couldn't if it was tight or had an agenda or, and it doesn't have it. It, it doesn't have a fixed view, right? That, And there's that, I hope uh, I could convey in the guided meditation, It, because a lot of times we equate tranquility with a one-pointed focus, with a mantra or a meditation object. But uh, tranquility, stable tranquility, really has this inclusive, non-fragmented, unified, there's a word in the tradition, 
you know, it gets translated. It's it, you see, you see it in uh, third foundation of mindfulness. You know that famous sutta on uh, four foundations on upon uh, the uh, Satipatthana Sutta, and it's usually translated as enlarged awareness. Just kind of, you know, versus like narrow, tight awareness. Um, the Pali word is, I think I wrote it down here. Somewhere, but not on this page. <laughs> but it's not important. But anyway, yeah, that, but the, the point is tranquility. It's almost like when we, uh, or feel safe enough to be open, then we can be tranquil. I don't know if people read Resma Medica's book, My Grandmother's Hands, but he mentioned some of the things that are just in the field of helping folks uh, with trauma. And just, you know, just looking around can help put the body, heart, mind at ease. You know, it's just like, as a mammal, as a creature, just checking out our surroundings. Oh, well, yeah. Seems like it's safe enough here to relax. And because that's, that's that like, oh, yeah, I don't have to hide. I can be open. And there are many ways to, because we're really learning to call upon our confidence a lot like we have to do with the loving kindness practice like you did a little this afternoon with stacy right we have to it's a confidence move can i be meeting the shoulders with tender hearted open presence you know it's like we have to call upon that yeah yeah maybe i can Maybe I can be intimate with the sensations in the shoulders in that loving way. And it's the same thing with tranquility, like does the heart have the capacity to feel ease? Even though my personality is imperfect, this talk is imperfect, the world is imperfect, because we always want to make love conditional, like, well, the world doesn't really deserve my unconditional love right now, you know, or my partner doesn't deserve my unconditional love. And even though you guys are pretty good, not yet, you know, I, you don't, <laughs> it's like we're postponing tranquility and that goodness of heart and so many good qualities that are so healing when we keep them in mind and water them, lubricate them, and set them in motion because we have this fixed idea that the world, the moment, isn't deserving, which is sort of like, <laughs> it's a misunderstanding. You know, this is part of this perfectionist cult that we're all intoxicated by in some fashion, you know, where we think life is about uh, some kind of perfection. You know, interestingly, I spoke a couple nights ago about uh, Gail Fransdahl, who's besides being a Dharma teacher, is a really good Buddhist scholar. 
And in those early, early teachings from the Buddha, you know, he, whenever he would use a word like purity, it wasn't in terms of the practice. It was in terms of talking about the other folks, you know, the way that the Brahmins mostly practiced. You know, they were in, you know, I, this is my word, but this idealistic notion of like divinity or perfection or purity. The Buddha didn't really use that word very often, if at all. I mean, it, you could you could say that, you know, the perfection is being at ease with conditions. I mean, so it, language is tricky in that way. But the point is, it's not idealistic. It's not somewhere else. It doesn't require other ingredients than what's here and now. So we don't have to postpone it. <laughs> and most importantly, we have to abandon the idea that it's not here, that that unconditional, wholesome love isn't here, because I've got a lot of unfinished business from my childhood. So I can't touch in a moment some kind of authentic feeling, experience of love or ease. And a lot of the reconditioning, like so that we start to have more confidence, is we have to be inspired to look. So we actually see, oh, that's strange. My heart seems pretty loving right now, or my body, heart, mind feels pretty at ease right now. I didn't really think that was available because I'm an imperfect meditator having an imperfect retreat. And by the way, the teachings and teachers are imperfect. And as nice as the retreat center is, Corey, it's also imperfect. You know, we can always think of improvements. I don't even notice it anymore, but Stacy pointed out the lights, the beautiful fixtures that we have in this room. I mentioned that Corey, being a perfectionist, said, well, someday I'm going to make my own fixtures. <laughs> really cool sconces. <laughs> What's that? I know you do. <laughs> but in my mind, it's what's the term in uh, Japanese? Is it wabi-sabi? Yeah, the sort of, you know, not that they're imperfect, but they're just, you know, just the, just the way it is. There's something in the way it is that's perfect. And they work. And I think this is the first time they've ever been on during a talk because normally we have the rope lights on, which are very beautiful. I'm just realizing right now that oh, that's a strange choice for lighting. <laughs> They're really there just for cleaning, by the way, just so you know. Oh, she talked about it. But it's it's nice to kind of find your own way to call on it, just like you have to do for loving kindness practice. There's a lot of personal creativity to find our way back. I was thinking that we could sing, uh, maybe we'll do it before the closing tomorrow. I have arrived, I am home in the here and in the now. I am solid. I like that. It's choice of word. It's like such a 
seemingly on the surface, an un-Buddhist word. I am solid. I am, what is it? I am solid. I am whole. No, it's, that's a different one. I am solid. I am free. I am solid. I am free. I am solid. I am free. In the ultimate, I dwell. In the ultimate, I dwell. It's one of the songs that's sung at Plum Village and the other Thich Nhat Hanh monasteries. But to, to kind of call on with confidence the possibility of touching something that has some spiritual beauty that's here and now, like a birthright. And another thing, Thich Nhat Hanh, that it's not just Zen, you know, in Vietnam, he calls it four school Buddhism because there's pure land Buddhism, there's early Buddhism, there's Zen Buddhism, there's Mahayana. So they did different schools that have coexist there. But one of the things they use are called gattas, these sort of meditation little pithy, almost like mantras, a little bit more complex than mantras that can be repeated. And one thing he does with the breath, he has one maybe you've heard um, where he says, you know, when you're breathing in, in, out, calm, slow. Oh, no, I'm sorry. In, out, I wrote it down. Smooth, slow, calm, ease, smile, release. Isn't that nice? In, out, smooth, slow, calm, ease, smile, release. And the smile is just that inner sense of a smile. I mean, you can smile, but... And of course, it's true that when we call upon metta, loving kindness, or tranquility, or other wholesome states, it can get off. It can become contrived. It can become controlling and demanding, and it won't work, right? But that doesn't mean uh, living as if it's not available is the skillful alternative to demanding that it show up right now. You know, we have to be patient. There's a a wonderful article you can read online if you want by Ajahn Tanisaro, a wonderful, another Buddhist scholar, Buddhist monk, Westerner, who's the abbot of a monastery outside of uh, San Diego called Wat Metta. Wat is just the Thai word for monastery. Metta means loving kindness. And uh, the the article is <coughs> bathed in the breath. So if you just remember that, Google bathed in the breath. I don't think you even need his name. It should show up. Otherwise, you can contact me. But the idea, it's really taken from the Buddhist teachings, you know, about learning how to initially sense what might be quite faint initially, that good inner feeling of wholeness, of tranquility, of calm, and then learning to bathe in it, 
to let it suffuse and touch everything that can be touched. So there is nothing that the mind is aware of in the body, in the space, the mind itself. There's nothing that remains untouched. And the Buddha uses really beautiful images like that. Like one is how if there's a cool spring and a lake, how the coolness of the spring water eventually will suffuse the entire lake, will affect the entire lake. Let me just read a little from this. Because he talks about, you know, the patience required. The, it's really, because, you know, what definitely doesn't work is, okay, I'm really going to do tranquility right. I mean, how many times have we started a meditation period with that kind of result? I'm, this time I'm going to do it. But then, you know, we meet twisted steel or the restless neurotic mind, the worry mind. We meet remorse. Oh, I said that. I did that. You know, whatever. We meet the dull mind. And then uh, we basically fall back into some arrogant, arrogant conviction. Well, it's not for me. You know, I'm broken. You know, and with real confidence, though. I mean, it's like that we have confidence in. You know, we have a lot of certainty and confidence about our negative views of self and the world and our life. And not very much cultivated confidence about the capacity for good. And, you know, unified, healed qualities of the mind, heart, body. So this is like in the middle of this relatively short article. It's just maybe eight pages or so, 10 pages. So these qualities of consistency, care, and heedfulness are important in allowing the state of concentration to develop. Without them, nothing much seems to happen. You have a little bit of concentration, then you step on it. A little bit of concentration, then you squeeze it off as you go looking at something else, thinking about something else. And so whatever little bits and pieces of concentration you do have don't seem very remarkable. They don't get a chance to be remarkable. Concentration takes time. And our society is pretty extraordinary in fostering the expectation that things should happen quickly. If anything's going to be good, it has to happen quickly. It has to be instant. And so... By and large, we've lost the ability to stay with things as they develop slowly. We've lost the ability to keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at a large task that's going to take some time and can't be speeded up. Gives the image uh, Ajahn Tanisaro practiced in Thailand for a long time before coming back to the West. And in Thailand, evidently, um, you know, each town, village, has somebody who has learned how to sharpen knives, but, you know, where we have, you know, amazing, amazingly flat little, what do you call those stones, whetstones or something like that, and other kinds of grinders that are perfectly engineered to sharpen our knives, you know, they just use stones, and it takes a real art, you know, like that idea, you have to do something 
10,000 times before you become competent at it, maybe longer, I don't know, but. And that's the thing about uh, a lot of the process of awakening is we can't even imagine what it is until we get a taste of it. And we don't get a taste of it until we commit and are loyal to the process. Like if we're really interested in peace and tranquility and the deepening of insight, we have to be really loyal and committed to that. We can't, on the one hand, be really interested in that deepening. And on the other hand, you know, take every bait, squirrel, you know, which is the perfect example of that is most of us, our relationship with social media and and the internet generally. You know, it's just like, they're just endless what we can think about, rabbit holes that we can go down. And it, and even for those of us who are sincere, it's like, yeah, that loyalty, that commitment, yeah, it's important, but it's there. But right now I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to get comfortable. But this chair isn't comfortable, you know, and it's, we never, we really never get to it. And what is it, the, what is the it that we never get to? Like, what are the, the real causes for um, the development of tranquility? And it's really that sense of fullness and inclusivity. It's a commitment to the moment. So it's more about what has to cease. Tranquility, the arising of tranquility is more about what has to cease. We have to cease the constant running and fixing and controlling and comparing and analyzing. And the thing is, you know, we we sort of do that at night when we go to bed, but it's missing the one central ingredient, which is the alertness, the brightness of mind. We have to see, we have to be intimate with the tranquility. So dull mind won't work. We need that vivid, bright, enlivened attentiveness, let's say. And that, so it can really sense how healing, how functional, how essential tranquility is. Like in that simile of the honed and heavy axe that's been used for centuries, you know, in the tradition, the Buddhist tradition, it's like imagine cutting down a big tree with something really, really sharp, like a razor blade, but no heft. It's not going to happen. And the same thing, if you had a lot of heft, like a sledgehammer, it's not going to happen either. It needs some sharpness. And that's that, that kind of like what was the kind of calm that's useful is calm that hasn't slid into dullness, tranquility, that ease, where the mind 
is really bright. Oh, and the way, what keeps the mind bright with a lot of tranquility and ease is noticing how pleasant it is. Being interested in that inner pleasure of calm and ease. Oh, yeah. It's what the heart has wanted for a long time. And in a way, it's... uh, it's understandable that the mind slides off into fantasies. Now that I feel so good, I can fantasize about what I'm going to do in life because now all of a sudden life seems workable because I'm feeling really good. So it's a very easy, it's actually, if you're noticing a lot of non-toxic fantasies going on, you might just ask yourself, is there a good feeling here? Because a good feeling that isn't being seen with awareness can be the cause for a lot of mental proliferation, especially the non kind of heavy, toxic kind, just filling up space because you feel good. So you feel like, yeah, life's, I'm all in for life. You know, maybe I'll pick a pickleball and do this and learn Spanish. And it all seems so doable because we feel good. Just like when we feel not good, it's like getting out of bed is hard or everything's hard, right? So what uh, what supports do we need besides patience to be willing to explore that possibility of fullness? Fullness with what is? You know, how to be interested This is from um, Ajahn Sumedho. Well, first, let me just uh, read this short passage from Sharon Salzberg, because I really like this. She says, great fullness of being, which we experience as happiness, can also be described as love. To be undivided, unfragmented, to be completely present is to love. To pay attention is to love. And one of the telltale signs of tranquility, you know, it's the, I mentioned maybe in the guided sit tonight, that one of the things we can sense is like not needing to go anywhere. Almost like when it's stronger, when the tranquility is stronger, there's a definite sense of being held. Like energetically, the cells, the the, uh, activity... Nothing wants to move because of the goodness of the feeling, that inner pleasure. So there's a real kind of stability. That's why I like that line from the Plum Village song, I am solid, I am free. You know, it's just an interesting juxtaposition between solidity and freedom. Freedom not to have to crave. Freedom of not needing the moment to be different or other. So it's really the freedom of acceptance. And it has that full quality. Now, this is from one of Ajahn Sumedho's earlier books, um, Now is the Knowing. You can download that online too. 
Yeah, and, and he's really talking about like it isn't it isn't just about giving up. We really have something to do, something to persist at. But it's a very special something that we have to persist at. He writes, if we read books about not putting any effort into things, just letting everything happen in a natural, spontaneous way, then we tend to start thinking that all we have to do is lounge about, and then we lapse into a dull, passive state. And actually, you know, in our meditative careers, it's good to do that so you know where that is. Like, just think, you know, do a retreat on your own. I just let yourself do whatever you want and and you just see, oh yeah, I'm just I've gotten into this dull place where I'm really tormented by the habits that are already exist in the mind. And I don't like it. And I want out. Right? And and the same way, it's good to have some retreats where you're like ride in on your horse and going to slay the demons and once and for all I'm going to be victorious and whip this heart and mind into shape and then see how you feel at that, like how tight and aggressive and unbearable that becomes, right? So we know how we can veer off both ways, too complacent, too indulgent, thinking it's all going to happen on its own, thinking, I've got to do it. I've got to slay the demons. I have to make this mine. That's that perfectionist trip. You know, I have to become pure. So what Ajahn Sumedho continues with is, um, the more, a little later down in this uh, part of the chapter, he writes, the more we take the easy way, the path of least resistance, the more we just follow our desires the more the mind becomes sloppy, heedless, and confused. It's easy to think. It is easy to think, easier to sit and think all the time than to not think. It's the habit we've acquired. Even the thought, I shouldn't think, is just another thought. To avoid thought, we have to be mindful of it. To put forth effort by watching and listening by being attentive to the flow in our minds. See, it doesn't sound like hate, does it? Rather than thinking about our mind, we watch it. Rather than just getting caught in thoughts, we keep recognizing them. Thought is a movement. It is energy. It comes and goes. It's not a permanent condition of the mind. Without evaluating or analyzing, when we simply recognize thoughts as thought, it begins to slow down and stop. This isn't annihilation. This is allowing things to cease. It is compassion. As habitual obsessive thinking begins to fade, great spaces we never knew were there to begin with, great spaces we never knew were there begin to appear. We are slowing everything down by absorbing into the natural breath calming the karmic formations, like the tendencies of the mind. And this is what we mean by samatha, or tranquility, coming to the point, to a point of calm. The mind becomes malleable, supple, flexible, and breathing can become very fine. 
And a little later he writes, This sort of knowledge we gain from Buddhist meditation is humbling. Ajahn Chah calls it earthworm knowledge. It doesn't make you arrogant. It doesn't puff you up. It doesn't make you, it doesn't make you feel that you are anything or that you have attained anything. In worldly terms, this practice doesn't seem very important or necessary. Yeah, one of the attributes um, to tranquility in the tradition is one becomes sincere and genuine, you know, and this is sort of a word we don't use too often, moral rectitude um, is how it was translated. But what that means is just there's a natural integrity when we're tranquil, right? It's like the that whole thing of positioning myself or being manipulative in any way, it just doesn't occur to us when we're feeling a lot of tranquility. So what's left is just being genuine and sincere, but not in any kind of contrived way, not trying to be genuine or sincere. You know, we could say being real, comfortable in our skin, It's the very chill, chill. <laughs> so we have some time now for walking and then another sit and, and, and then, you know, just our time late into the night and early morning and after this, the retreat ends tomorrow. But just to be interested in tranquility and calm, you know, it's really central in the Buddhist path. We get excited about a lot of things in the Dharma and and Buddhism, but generally we don't seem to be enthusiastic about calm, but it's really as central as any other qualities. I think somewhere the Buddha, this is a paraphrase, the Buddha says something like, uh, with calm, with that tranquility, Desire ceases, craving ceases, right? Because we feel content. And with insight, ignorance ceases. The latent tendencies to misperceive, misunderstand cease. So they're very related in that way. Just take a moment, let go of the words. One or two breaths together. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.